0: We're going to be talking about uh, Mother's Day this morning, and uh, I want you to start by turning your Bibles, if you would, to Judges chapter 2. We'll begin with that book, Judges chapter 2, while you're turning there. You know, there are many accounts in the Bible of uh, godly women who loved and served God and who He greatly used. And you know some of those women. There's Sarah, who is the wife to Abraham, and uh, the mother of our faith, if you please. And, uh, of course, there was Hannah. Uh, who was the mother of uh, Samuel, who was that great judge and uh, priest and prophet back there in David's time. And uh, there's Esther. Esther, God used in a mighty way to preserve the Jewish people when they were under the Persian Empire's domination. And Haman was out to uh, set a trap to have them all killed. And God used this godly woman, Esther, to... Uh, spared the lives of uh, his people and of course we know mary the mother of our lord and those are just a few there are many others as well that uh, we'd be familiar with in scripture we're told in proverbs chapter 31 what characterized these women as well as all godly women including women today uh, the characteristics that are given there that we seek to emulate as we grow in christ and in his word We thank and praise God for how he has blessed us with our mothers, our wives, those who have uh, brought our children into the world and have seen them growing and grow up and so forth. We really have been blessed. And and I mean that, ladies. We thank God for you. Uh, You have blessed our marriages, our children, our homes, uh, our church, even society, as well as the world. Uh, God has so richly blessed us through you ladies, and we thank Him and praise Him. We ask that God would be your portion. May He pour out a superabundant blessing upon you, and may that even be true as we look at His Word this morning together. Since today is a day that we set aside for honoring our mothers, I'm going to talk about some women we find in the Bible. And I've entitled my message, Decision Time for Three Women. It's a little bit different for Mother's Day, but I think God will use it in your and my life. Decision time for three women. Most of you will be very familiar with the text we're going to be looking at, although uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Ruth. Uh, Keep in the book of Judges chapter 2 so you're there for the beginning of this. And uh, there are only two books in the Bible of the 66 books that we have that are given the names of women. Uh, Esther is one, and she is a Jewess, as I mentioned, that God used to preserve his people uh, back there under the Persian Empire. And the other is this little book of four chapters called Ruth, and she is a Gentile. So you have a Jewess, Esther, and a Gentile, Ruth, that have books in the Bible that are named after them. So in the book of Ruth, we meet these three women I want to talk about. And it was decision time for all three of them. So as we go to meet them there, uh, these women, we're going to look first in your outline at the condition. We have to start there. So if you have your outline, you can take that out. The condition their world found itself in. We want to look at that. The condition their world found itself in. We learn from the book of Judges that it's described throughout this book. It's described throughout the book of Judges. And we discover that God's people were in trouble. Why God's people, Israel, were in trouble. And look at Judges chapter 2 with me, if you would, in verses 1 and 2. There we read these words. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me what is this that you have done? And drop down to verse 11 and following there in chapter 2 of Judges. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So he forsook, So they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. He had done that, by the way, in the Mosaic covenant, the old uh, Mosaic law there in in, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet... They did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge." For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. That's the condition. Their world, these three ladies, found itself in. Here it's described in this book of Judges. You'll find if you read that, that there were seven cycles that God would bless them... And when they were blessed, they would turn away from God and they would embrace the false gods of the countries and the peoples around them. And then God, grieved in heart, would bring judgment upon them and he would deliver them in the hands of these different ones among them. And they would bitterly, severely oppress them. And then they would cry out to God. And he, as it says in that text, he had pity on them. And so he would step in and he would raise up a judge and he would deliver them. And then they would they would have, have a time of rest and peace in their country. And once again, they would turn around and go right back to their old ways again. And so God would have to, again, deliver them into the hands of their enemy one more time. And then they would cry out again and then out of mercy and compassion, he would deliver them again. It happened seven different times. That's the world's condition that these three women were living in back then. Look at the last chapter, judges 21, I believe it is. Judges 21. And most of you are probably very familiar with this verse. And that's number two in your outline, uh, subpoint there. It's described throughout the book of judges why God's people, Israel were in trouble. Number one, Number two, the concluding statement. Look what it says here in verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a uh, concluding statement, if you please, of the condition their world found itself in back in those days. It's interesting that the very next word you read in the Bible is that first word in the first chapter of Ruth it's that little word now now showing that it links the account set forth in the book of Ruth with the times of the judges when everyone did that which was right in their own eyes each person was a law to himself all standards of truth and righteousness were disregarded not unlike today is it Boy, you can certainly see some similarities for sure. Not unlike today. A time of apostasy. That is a a falling away from spiritual truth and uh, from the Lord and the church and so forth. A time of anarchy. And we certainly understand and see that in our country. A time of brutality. So brutal. time of bloodshed. As it always is when unregenerate man is unrestrained doing his own thing. Crime and chaos are always a result when God and the Bible are rejected. Crime and chaos. And the book of Judges was that world's daily newspaper. It described the condition the world found itself in. But number two. The condition of the world was not only found in the book of Judges. Number two, it's described in Elimelech's family. He's the first one you're going to be introduced to in this book of Ruth. It's described in Elimelech's family. Under that, a famine had struck the house of bread. Isn't that interesting? A famine had struck the house of bread. Remember, this is how God said he would get their attention. If they were to be obedient and followed Him, He would bless them and bless their land. If they did not, then He would cause a famine. That's one thing He would use to get their attention. And now God is trying once again to get their attention, but it doesn't seem to be working at this particular point. Talk about a famine. Last Tuesday night, I was looking at PBS Channel 9, and it uh, was a uh, documentation on the Dust Bowl of the 30s. What an amazing thing, A 100 million uh, acres of topsoil was blown away in the Midwest. Just amazing, and I, I you know, I, I was aware of the pictures they were showing. I mean, you're talking about total blackness during the day, at high noon. I remember one time after this, this has been going on for quite some time, and one day they awakened and uh, they saw that the uh, it was a beautiful day. It was a blue sky out there and the sun was shining. Had finally, relief. And so one of the family said, "Let's let's celebrate, let's get out of the house, let's go do a picnic." And so they went to uh, a distance away to a picnic, and then suddenly they looked, and here was this cloud, but the cloud was a huge bank. It was utterly black, and they realized this is not over. And they had to struggle to find themselves, uh, their way back to their home. Just amazing things that God uses to get a country's attention. I thought as I was looking at that, that was the 30s. It was shortly thereafter that God really raised up Billy Graham to do this evangelistic work. and We saw a lot of people by the thousands coming to saving faith. God does know how to get a nation's attention, doesn't he? And that was the issue here in the time of Ruth and uh, uh, her mother-in-law and uh, her sister. It was a time of famine that was going on. Number two, Elimelech disobeyed God. He disobeyed God. How did he do so? He left the land of Canaan. That's the land of blessing. He left it. Remember, Abraham did the same thing during a famine. Genesis chapter 12. And he left the land and went down into Egypt. And what did he get there? He got himself an Egyptian handmaid. And Ishmael was born through that. And now he had this conflict that's been going on through the centuries, even more so even today. Others in Bethlehem were also feeling the effects of the famine. But what did they do? They stayed in the land. And then his two sons married Moabite women because he was out of the place of blessing in a foreign country where he should not have gone. They married two Moabite women. Did you know, and you, I'm sure you did if you know your Bible law, this was strictly forbidden by God in the Mosaic law. And you know, today we need to emphasize that as well. A couple ways. One is, what about widows that are believers that have lost their husbands? The Bible says that they can marry, but listen to what it says in First Corinthians 7:39: "A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. And then these four words: only in the Lord, only in the Lord. And you know, we have a number of people here that are not married. Young people that probably desire to get married sometime, and God had something very clear to say to you as well and it's important you pay attention to this because Elimelech got out of the will of God, and serious consequences resulted as a result of that second corinthians six fourteen and fifteen i 'll just read the first part of that, but you might want to write down those verses second corinthians six fourteen and fifteen he says, regarding single Christians, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, if you're already married, that's another story. You stay with them, of course, and hope that God will use you to reach them out of love and grace, that they might come to save you faith. But he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Very, very clear. You can't miss it. And so Elimelech went down there out of the place of blessing. As a result of that, his two sons married Moabitesses, and this was strictly forbidden. And number three in your outline, disobedience to God always carries a steep price the devil tries to sell us a bill of goods that that's not the case but don't believe him disobedience to god always carries a steep price within less than 10 years elimelech died he had left his god the land of blessings so he and his family could survive And please remember that he and the people of God were under God's hand of discipline. What should they have done? They need to turn back to the Lord. We see it in the judges, in those seven cycles. Turn back to Him. He is a merciful and compassionate God, a merciful and compassionate Father, and He wants to bless you and provide for you. But He died out of the land of blessing, having lost everything. Naomi was now away from God in a foreign land, and her husband was gone. When it rains, it pours. Shortly after Elimelech's death, Naomi's two sons died as well. Out of the land of blessing, running from the disciplining hand of God, continuing in a life of disobedience instead of what? Turning back to God. Oh, what needless pain. Remember that song? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Keep that in mind when God disciplines you and he disciplines each one of that belongs to him, that you need to run into his arms. Look at verse 1 with me. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Notice that word, those words, Elimelech, went to sojourn. Listen, folks, he never was planning on staying there. He, uh didn't plan to abide, settle down, and permanently live there, much less did he plan to die away from God in the land of blessing. First, he turned his back on his inheritance because of what? A temporary situation. Let me build upon that for a minute. You, if you're saved, you're a believer, you belong to God, and you know that life is difficult, Hard things come into every person's life, but they come into the believer's life as well. You're not exempt from problems because you became a Christian. But I appreciate that little illustration used by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12. And that's about uh, uh, Esau. Trying to get the right person there. Jacob and Esau. Esau. You see, he was to inherit the blessing, but it meant nothing to him. And so he threw it away, and later on he comes back wanting it, but he can't get it. And that is a picture for you and me. God says, I want you to be blessed. We're not talking about getting to heaven now. If you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. He says, I want to bless you. But you can throw that work of God away. And that, in essence, is what happened to Elimelech, if you please. Here's a principle for you. When God disciplines His own, you cannot escape by running to Moab. When God disciplines his own, you cannot escape by running to Moab. We learn a lot about Elimelech's spiritual state from the names that he gave his two sons. Mahlon means sick. And Chilion means pining. Doesn't sound too good, does it? Brand new baby. Call him Mahlon. Sick. Another one. Chilion comes on. Brand new baby. What should we call him? Well, let's call him Chilon. It means Pining. Listen, this was the condition their world found itself in. And very few people intend to continue in and die in a life of sin and disobedience. By the way, most everybody thinks they're going to go to heaven, right? When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Everybody thinks that. Boy, they need to look and see what the scriptures have to say. Only the redeemed go to heaven. Only those who trust what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross go to heaven. There is only one time for one to stop sinning and return to God, and that time is now because tomorrow is eternity. Well, that's the condition we find these three women lived in. We see it in the book of Judges. We see it in the life of Elimelech. We come now to the next major point. Three women make life-changing decisions. Three women, and each one of them makes a decision And the decision they make is life-changing. Number one, it was a visit from God that prompted their decisions. Isn't that interesting? It was a visit from God that prompted their decision. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard... In the land of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. It was a visit from God that prompted their decisions. Even down in the land of Moab, God got the news to his child Naomi. I don't know wherever you might be in your walk in life. But I know that God knows exactly where you are and where I am. And he does know how to get the news to us that we need to receive and maybe that's why you're here this morning god says i'm going to get some news to you that you desperately need from me when the lord visits us others are going to hear about it god longs to restore and bless us if we will let him do so don't ignore don't ignore god's visits it's god who is working you causing you to will and to work for his good pleasure Number two, their decision would affect their destiny and those who followed. Wow. We think it's all about us. But their decision and your decision will affect their and your destiny and those who follow. Remember, the decisions made on our mobile road are for eternity. Number three, their decision would expose their hearts. Their decision would expose what's really in their heart. What were they thinking? What was their desires and so forth? We begin with Naomi, Elimelech's wife. Naomi. She would return in grief and destitution, having lost everything. Right? She would return bitter, blaming God. Look at verses nineteen through twenty-one. I said, God knows how to get a hold of our attention. Boy, did he ever with her. Verse 19, so they both went until, that's uh, Naomi and Ruth, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? It's interesting, she would return bitter, blaming God. As you saw there in verses 19-21. through Naomi, by the way, means pleasantness. Pleasantness. But backsliding brings bitterness. And others noticed the change. Ten years of wandering outside of God's will, outside of God's land, and God's ways had evidently aged and soured the once charming and pleasant Naomi. Call me Mara. That means bitter. That's a testimony of every child of God who chooses to walk away from God and continue to live in sin. No exceptions. You know, David, after he fell into sin, and for a year, he did nothing about it. You can track that in your Bible. For a year, he did nothing about this sin. God, though, loved him so much, he did what? He visited him. He sent Nathan the prophet to him. He realized his sin. And in Psalm 50, when he says what? He cries out to God, restore to me, what? The joy of my salvation. You know, that's a cry a lot of Christians need to express before God. Do you have the joy of salvation? Jesus Christ is joy. Walking with him is joy. Serving him is joy. Speaking to him, fellowship, it's joy. But Christians along the way lose that joy. And he cried out, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe you're here this morning, that's a prayer you need to cry out to God as you've had your journey down in the land of Moab, of bitterness and loss and suffering and so forth. How precious that God always answers that. Notice verse 21, she says, I went out full. In God's presence there is fullness. Away from God there is emptiness. But even though empty, the Lord, I love it, the Lord has brought me back. Beautiful. I love God. I love my Heavenly Father. I love my Savior. And He loves me with an everlasting love as He does you as well. And He always desires to bring us back where He can bless us. Naomi's confession is threefold. She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Number two, the Lord has witnessed against me. And number three, the Almighty has afflicted me. And all of that was true. But it's so easy to blame God and others for our own condition of being away from the Lord. The Lord's discipline is intended to correct and to save. Naomi's backsliding had partly blinded her as well as made her bitter. And her bitterness would affect others. Did you get that? Her bitterness would affect others. She would discourage her daughters-in-law from walking with God. The true God. Look at verse 8 and 9. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go! Return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And that's kind that she would say that. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. In other words, I hope you go back to your own land, stay here and find husbands and get married. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And then notice verse 15. Drop down to verse 15. Would you therefore wait until, I'm sorry, verse 15, Then she said to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, and what? And to her gods. And to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. What? You're trying to drive people away from God? Who God has used you to bring them to know him and now you're saying go back to your homeland and get Mary back there and go back to your gods that's what bitterness does it affects others discourages them look at Orpah with me for a moment she would have learned something from her Jewish husband and in-laws about the one true God I mean for 10 years or thereabouts, she was with him she started out on the journey going with Naomi, her mother-in-law, to her land and her God. Did the thought of no possibility of marriage maybe dissuade her? I know young people that do stop their walk with the Lord. They leave church. They choose not to walk with Him, not to serve Him, because they say, I want to get married. And somehow this walking with God doesn't seem to be working out, so I'll do it my own way. Was that what caused her to go back? She, and by the way, Naomi tried to use that in her life. She made the decision to return to her people and to her gods, it says. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. She went back. She started out and then stopped. Like Lot's wife, she perished between her Sodom and safety and salvation. She wept, but she went back to her old ways. You know, dear one, maybe that's where you are this morning. You've started out on this journey. You wanted to embrace Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You wanted to live for Him. You wanted to walk with Him. But then things got difficult. And they didn't go to the, kind of like that famine in the land there, Bethlehem. And now you're in a place where you're going backward. And you're now want to go back to your old ways. Listen, don't do that. Let this message encourage you to go on with God and receive the work that He's doing in your life. It will bring fruit and will richly bless you, if you will. Orpah would not be heard of again. Her children, listen, her children and her grandchildren and all offspring would face eternity without God. Forever lost. Because of a decision on that crossroad there. Staggering, isn't it? Absolutely staggering. Somebody said God has no grandchildren means that each person has to make their own decision for Jesus Christ. But would that she would have gone on. Do you think that God could not have provided for her a husband there in Bethlehem as well? And that she could have known the joy of the Lord and her children could have known him as well? But no, she made a decision and she turned back. And now her children and her grandchildren are forever lost. And we never hear of Orpah or her children again. Ever again. That brings us to the third lady, the third woman who made a decision, and of course, you know her. That's Ruth. That's Ruth. Her decision was made in the face of tremendous difficulties. Staggering, if you please. Listen, her past was against her. She was a Moabitess raised in a heathen home and schooled in the worship of immoral gods. Naomi seemed against her as well. In tears, she pleads with her to return to her people and her gods, just as her sister had done. By the way, really, the future was against her too. And maybe that's how you feel right now where you are, the future being against you. There was no prospect of marriage. She would be leaving everything and everyone she knew except Naomi. She had to say goodbye to Orpah. This wasn't something you just, you know, Facebook later on or or email. I mean, this is it. I mean, she had to say goodbye to her. She had to say goodbye to her parents. Everybody that she knew in her family, she had to say goodbye to. She would be going to a people who despised the people of Moab. But her decision was one of resolute heart. I love that. Listen, if you don't get anything out of this, at least get this. God always blesses and honors a resolute heart for him. Her decision was one of resolute heart. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Look at verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then dropped down to verse 16 through 18. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. That little word clung. Beautiful word. She clung to it. Verse 14. It's descriptive, suggestive. Here's how it's used elsewhere in Scripture. In Job thirty-eight, thirty-eight, it says, The clods of the earth that stick together. You know, uh, uh, one of those uh, flash floods comes, and all this mud's created and so forth, and then the sun comes out and just bakes it all. And see big cracks and so forth. That's the idea there. That word clung is used in Job forty-one, fifteen through 17 of Leviathan, the sea monster. God says his strong scales are his pride, shut up as with a tight seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. That's that word clung, clasp. I mean, man, this was a resolute decision in Ruth's heart. In 2 Kings 5, 27, it speaks of Naaman's leprosy, cleaving to Gehazi. It says, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And the one I really like is Psalm 63, verse 8. In Psalm 63, verse 8, of David following hard after the Lord, my soul clings to you. Boy, God blesses that. And she was resolute in her decision to follow Naomi, leave her everything she was familiar with, her country, her people, and go with her back to Bethlehem. Ruth underscores her decision. Notice that in verse 16 through 18, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God. I will die with you. She underscores it. And as a result of that, she would experience a twofold redemption. First In her kinsman redeemer she would meet a man by the name of Boaz who would be able to redeem that which she lost and he would become her husband. And through their lineage the Lord Jesus Christ would become her Messiah and her Savior. He would be her kinsman redeemer who would save her and give her eternal life. How God mightily, mightily blesses. Our decisions do expose our hearts, don't they? Has your pleasantness turned to bitterness? Are you in that, under that hand of discipline right now of which every believer at one time or another does experience God says, don't run away from that. Let it just come into my arms and cling tightly to me. And let me bless you and provide for you as you have the salvation, that joy of salvation restored again. Are you like Orpah? You started out? You started out that you thought this Christianity is a good thing. I think I want it. You started out, but now you're going backward. You're headed back to your old ways. Be like Ruth and be resolute in your decision to walk and follow the Lord. Here's why. It's the next major point in your outline. Here's why. God's grace overwhelmingly blesses those who decide for Him. God's grace overwhelmingly blesses those who... Decide for him. Number one, God often works mightily through insignificant events. God often works mightily. Listen, He's an incredible God through insignificant events. Illustration number one the selling of a brother to wayfarers. Now you say, well, that wasn't really insignificant. Well, it was to them. They just wanted to get rid of a troublesome brother, Joseph. The 11, remember, took him and sold him to the Ishmaelites and said, good, now that's finally We can go back because he was a favorite of their father, Jacob, and that was troubling to them. And so they got rid of him once for all. Now we'll find out what will come about with this dreamer and his dreams. Over the 13 or 17 years later, they did find out, didn't they? God worked through that event, and He uh, exalted Joseph to second in command in Egypt, the most powerful country of the world at that time, and He provided for their salvation that they could go down there and be kept alive. What about the sleepless night of a king? Come on. Had insomnia, couldn't get to sleep. Interesting story, though, about that king and uh, those around him, because you see, uh, Haman at that time was sick and tired of Mordecai, and that's Esther's cousin. And his wife said, I'll tell you what, why don't you just build a gallows and have the guy hanged? He said, good idea, good idea. I'll hang Mordecai, and I'll be done with him once and for all. And so the next morning, he was going to get, take Mordecai, go into the king and get Mordecai and take him back out and hang him. And that night, the king couldn't sleep. Now, what do you do when you can't sleep? How many of you listened to one of Pastor Bill's sermons? <laughs> oh, I just didn't know that. Maybe, okay. And so he had the records brought in, and he has these people reading to the guy, the key. I mean, this is the night before the next day when, when Haman's going to hang Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And he finds out that uh, this Mordecai had uh, found a plot against the king and had exposed it, and it was a plot to kill him. And uh, he said, "What's ever been done to honor that guy?" And so, amazing story. I mean, how God's ways are just incredible. And I think it's the same with you as He works in your life and my life as He did even back then. And so, anyway, here comes Haman in. And he's all happy, chipper, and he's going in to ask the king about what should be done to the. Uh, well, he goes in, the king says to him right away. He says to Haman, "What should be to, done to the guy, the?" King king wants to highly honor and you remember that story and he was whoa me i think you should take a horse that the king has ridden on and one of his royal robes and put on him and have somebody lead him to the cities and and hail this is what god the king will do to the one he wants to honor he said you're right do it go get mordecai gulp what a very insignificant situation a sleepless night one day, number three, the capture of an unnamed girl. The capture of an unnamed girl. The Syrians would go down and have these raids against Israel. And They went down one time. They were successful. They brought back some captives. And one was a little girl and the, the captain of the uh, Syrian army said, You know what? I think I'll take her home and I'll let her take care of my wife. She can just take care of my wife. And so they did. But there was a problem. This uh, great captain and warrior, uh, Naaman, had leprosy. And he tried everything possible to get rid of that leprosy. Everything. I mean, he tried their gods, any any solution that they thought would work, he tried. And this little girl, here she is, a little Israelite girl. And she said to her mistress, She said, You know, if he could only be meet the prophet there in Samaria, I know he could cure him. What? Yeah. A raid? Captured. These captives and a little girl. And the girl said that if he could just get down to Samaria and meet the prophet down there, I know he could cure him. And you know the rest of that story. He went down there and uh, 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 Elisha said to him, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And he did that. And he came up just like a brand new person. The leprosy gone. All because of an insignificant thing of a little girl that was captured. And now we come to number four. A young widow happened upon a certain field. What? Yeah. Look with me, if you would, at chapter 2, verse 3. They're in the land of Bethlehem, and Ruth goes out to do some harvesting. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Isn't that something? Just happened come to that field of all the fields available does god do that for you i want to tell you something absolutely yes romans 8:28 we know we know we know we know we believe we know that all things get that all things work together for good to those that love god to those who are called according to his purpose are you saved not yet, not yet. <laughs> are you saved Thank you. Then you're called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Don't get in to be down in Moab. Be in Bethlehem. Be in the place of blessing that God might bless you. My. Number two, God often works mightily not only through insignificant events. I think of insignificant events, I think about where you live, your neighborhood, the people you live around, where you work, where you go to school. God says that's not insignificant. I work through all of that to accomplish my purpose through you and in you. But number two, God often works mightily through impossible situations. Friday. Well, let's see about a story here. Let me go on. God often works mightily through impossible situations. So much was against Ruth, number one. So much was against Ruth. What I was going to tell you was Friday went out to see Lila Bailey, who uh, is being moved out of her house, has lost everything. You know, it's a hard thing for me or you because you don't know what to say. You can't reverse it. You can't change it. And say, Lord help me, I, I don't want rude words can be so trite, so meaningless. But you did say you're God who cares. You said you're God who knows. You said you're God who will provide. I don't have any answers for this lady. I don't know where she or the five in her family are going to go. I did say they could come live with us for temporarily if they need to. And she's not taking me up on that yet. But I don't know what the answer is, folks. I, It's a situation like that. You want to have an answer. Or Tim, what you went through, you want to have an answer. And sometimes you don't have the answer. But you know that God does. God is sovereign. God is Absolutely, 100% in love, with with an everlasting love, and he will provide in the way he chooses and so forth. And so we find that he does work mightily through impossible situations. Keep that in mind, because you may find yourself there in an impossible situation. As I said, so much number one was against Ruth. She is a Gentile, a Moabitess. The Moab race began through an act of incest when Lot's daughter had sex with her dad, and a baby's name was called Moab. The people of Moab were one of Israel's worst enemies. They had attacked Israel while they were journeying to Canaan. Balak, the king of Moab, had hired Balaam, you might remember, to curse Israel. And when they wouldn't, he couldn't get that done, then he led them into immorality with the women of Moab. And during the time of the judges, the Moabites had subjugated the people of Israel. You can read that in that book of Judges. In fact, God had placed a curse on the people of Moab and declared that no Moabite could enter his presence. And join with his people for ten generations. Deuteronomy 23, 3-6. through No Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all their, your days. Boy, let me tell you, a lot was against Ruth. Leaving Moab and her family and going to Bethlehem and Judah. She was raised in a godless home where she learned the worship of false gods and idols. The Moabites even sacrificed their children to these gods. She was a foreign widow who possessed nothing but the clothes on her back. But number two, her only hope was in a kinsman redeemer. That was her only hope. In a kinsman redeemer. That meant there would have to be someone... Someone who is both capable and willing to redeem Ruth and her husband's land. That meant there had to be a person willing to pay off in full what she owed on Elimelech and male on Chilean's land. He would also have to be willing to marry her. And continue on, Elimelech's family name. Not a small order to fill. You might just call it impossible. But what does the Bible say? God is the God of... Of the impossible. He said that to Abraham. He said it to Mary the mother of our Lord as well. Amazing. Boaz is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ our Redeemer. And he came because he loves you and me. He came to forgive our sins. To forgive. Uh, to give us eternal life. To Reconcile us back to the Lord to have fellowship with Him. Notice with me five ways Boaz was a type of Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Number one, He was from Bethlehem, as was Jesus Christ. Secondly, He was a near kinsman, as was Jesus. We find in Hebrews chapter 2 that He became man, uh, took on Himself our flesh, that He might uh, redeem us back to Himself. Number three, He was willing to redeem, as was Jesus. You have to be willing. And he's not willing that any should perish, it says, but that all should come to repentance. Number four, uh, he was able to redeem as was Jesus, not only willing, but able. And therefore, he is able also to save forever. I love it. He is able to save forever to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He says, do you think I'm able to save you? You say, oh, but wait a minute, you don't know my condition, I'm terrible, I've been in sin, I've been away from God, I've done horrible things. He said, whatever you've done, I will forgive you completely. I will save you to the uttermost forever if you but come to me. And here Ruth came, didn't she? And Number five, he was free of obligations of his own, as was Jesus. He said to them, "Which one of you convicts me of sin?" In other words, was, there's was no sin in him. He was totally free and able to redeem us. But number three, God loves to bless beyond your wildest dreams. Isn't that good. It's true. God loves to bless beyond our wildest or your wildest dreams. Number one, that God planned to bless Ruth through Boaz. This is already in his plan. He planned it. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Here comes Boaz. And what's he say to all of his reapers and everybody in the field? May the Lord be with you. Isn't that great? This guy had a heart for God. And he says to all of his workers, may the Lord be with you. Verse 5. Whose young woman is it? What that, what's the point of that? He is focused now on her. Something is happening here. And I love it when God focuses His attention on me and He focuses His attention on you. And says, you're very dear and special to me. I love you with an everlasting love. In verses 8-10, through 10, He says to her, Do not glean in another field. Stay here with my maids. He wants to take care of her and provide for her. Verse 12, may the Lord reward your work. Verse 14, he says, come, eat, and break your bread here. That's fellowship together. And verses 15 16, he says, he will abundantly provide. He says, look, you you put out things for her, uh, extra sheaves and so forth, that she might be abundantly provided for. And finally, the ultimate is what? He married her. He fell in love and he married her. And God says, I want to fall in love and marry you. So if you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll respond... To his call to marry him. God planned to bless you through his beloved son. I love what it says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you've already been abundantly blessed. These are spiritual blessings. And they're incredible blessings. And we praise God for that. But number two. God loves to bless beyond your wildest dreams. Grace reaches into the lowest depths and exalts to the highest. Grace reaches into the lowest depths. Think of Saul of Tarsus, a murderer, and it exalts to the highest. George... Gardner writes, God's plan began with a failure, Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, who by his actions denied his name when famine came. He, with his wife Naomi, bundled up his two sons and left Bethlehem, the house of bread, for Moab, a land of people under a curse. There to die and be buried along both his children, alongside both his children. What an unlikely soil in which to plant the seed of a miracle! Yet this is where God began. His plan continued with a pagan, Ruth, a Moabite who married one of Elimelech's sons, then buried him beside his father. A member of a race which began in incest, disrupted the journey of Israel from Egypt to Canaan, and was under the curse of God. God took this woman from the lowest of conditions and raised her to the highest of privilege an ancestress of the Messiah. And he goes on and he's still doing it. Amen. May I say, he's still doing it through you and me today. God, her grace reaches into the lowest depths and exalts to the highest. I want you to remember two very important words. Just two. Found in your Bible. They're the two words, but God. But God. Ephesians 2 reads, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He's describing every unsaved person, those, those words. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now here it is. In that condition, and every one of us was at one time in that condition, we were born in that condition. Here come those two words. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did He do that? So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus he wants to show off his grace in you and me but God George Gardner again writes the story of Ruth is a story of a God who is not frustrated by the failure of an instrument or the poor quality of the material with which he has to work he continues to work out details of his plan even in the worst of times and may I add this he chooses to do so using you and me well, we visited three women in very difficult days who made decisions. And those decisions impacted their life for all eternity. Orpa, what did she do? She went back to her old ways. I hope that if you're here and you're thinking about Jesus Christ, this will encourage you to say, I want to know more about him. If He can do that, if God can do the impossible, if God wants to bless me superabundantly beyond all that I could ever ask or think, if He could forgive all of my sins, all my past, immediately, drop all of that in the deep sea and, and not look at it ever again, if He can give me right now eternal life and that peace and that joy of salvation, then don't go back. Go forward and discover that God will be true to His Word. And that he will save you and superabundantly bless you. Maybe you've gone something, gone through something as a Christian. You're like Naomi. It's been rough. It's been terrible. It's been a bitter situation. Don't let that be where you stop. Continue to grow in his grace and knowledge. And know that joy of salvation once again. Let God use you and bless you in a mighty way. He never throws away that which he takes his children through. Never, never, never. Say, God, then use me for your glory. What do you want me to do since I've gone through these situations that have been so hard and so terrible? And God will do that. And like Ruth, like Ruth, let him bless you. You have a Redeemer who loves you with an everlasting love. And ladies, again, we praise God for you. We really do. We praise God for you. And I love the fact that we have this church full of ladies that love the Lord, love His Word, trying to raise up godly homes, godly children. Be faithful to your husband. We praise God for you. I mean that. May you be blessed today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we faced this morning three women in this book of Ruth. And may you speak to our heart through the decisions these three women made. God, we thank you that you're a God- who has an everlasting love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God of the impossible, and that you even use that which seems so insignificant, but you use it all for your glory and for our blessing. I would pray, Father, for any who might be here that are not saved, that you would speak to their heart. May they not turn back like Orpah did, never to be heard of again, to have children and grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren that none know you, None have eternal life. None experience the joy of salvation. But Lord, may they be like Ruth. May they cling and go forward with you. And may they know that joy and that eternal life and that forgiveness. And a life well worth living. Father, bless these ladies. Bless our young girls. Protect them. Provide for them. And be glorified in their lives. And we say thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.